take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, the fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And we're going to look at chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, verses 19 through 30. And we'll read these verses responsibly. I'll read the odd verses, you'll read the even, starting in verse number 20. Acts 16, verses 19 through 30. Amen. Let's begin. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, And the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you how, through the centuries, through the millennia, it's been the perfect, true word of God. It's never changed. Lord, I pray that as we grab a hold of a truth tonight, help us to look at that nugget from maybe a little different angle and see the little facet maybe in a different way, but uh, it's still from the same diamond. Lord, I pray that you just use it in our lives, change us because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Paul and Silas have been preaching and God has been changing people's lives in the book of Acts here. The people who run the idol in the witchcraft industry are starting to see their sales go down. People were getting saved and turning away from idolatry and turning away from the witchcraft. And these evil businessmen uh, can consort together to take down these two Baptist preachers because... Their business is being hurt. Uh, And they make some accusations against them that they're, uh, I'm going to use a term that's not used in the Bible here, but it's disorderly conduct. (laughs) How can you be disorderly against evil people? Uh, But anyway, not only were they falsely accused and tried and found guilty, but then they're beaten and thrown into jail. For what? Preaching the gospel, seeing people get saved. Now think through that for a second. Uh, Here are two godly men. 
men of God, seeing revival. Now they're being attacked for doing what God wants. They, these people come to the jailer, the magistrates, and said, look, we're putting them in your charge. That's a little stronger than just putting somebody in jail. When they were put to their charge, that meant this. If anything took place and those prisoners escaped, the jailer would take on the punishment of, of those prisoners. That's a little bit more serious. That's kind of like if you got in, your brother got in trouble and said, okay, if he does it again, you're getting a whooping. You're going to make sure he doesn't do it again. They are sitting in jail, beaten, bruised, bloody, and chained up, unable to do what they want to do. People are now going to be afraid to come hear them preach. Think about what they did to the men of God. What are they going to do to the people that come hear him preach? Are they going to do that to them now? Who's going to risk hearing them preach? Will they end up in jail, beaten also? Has the revival ended? It gets late. It's midnight. Seems like from midnight to about Four or five in the morning is a long part of the night. It's a long stretch. Uh, it seems like the pressure of the late hour makes everything seem worse. If you've had children, you know what I mean. Fevers are higher at night. The phone when it rings at midnight generally is not good. Sickness seems to get worse at night. Seems like nobody dies in the daylight. They always die in the middle of the night. The Bible says that Paul leans over to Silas and says, Hey, Brother Silas, think I can hit lead if you can hit harmony. How about we just start singing? They begin to sing, begin to praise God, and the Bible says that suddenly there was an earthquake. How many of you, have, and I'm not talking about an East Coast earthquake. How many of you have actually been in a real earthquake? Raise your hand. A couple of you. There's nothing more unnerving than a real earthquake. My wife and I left Bible college and went to Southern California. The ground never stops out there. It literally doesn't. And I remember my, our first earthquake is about a five and a half, five point eight 5.8 earthquake. It wasn't very big, but it was good enough to shake, rattle, and roll everything. Uh, and it was a little unnerving. My wife was at home. I was at the second floor of my office, and the building shaking like this. And I'm thinking, okay, get to the doorway. And when I reached for the doorway, it was over here about a foot and a half where it was away from where it should have been. And doors are slamming in the building. And I said, Lord, I don't mind going downstairs, but let me take the steps. I mean, it was getting bad. We were through two uh, earthquakes on a Sunday morning that were over seven point. We lost half of the baptistry water in the baptistry twice that day. Swoosh, swoosh, and it was gone. Guess who got to clean it up? The assistant. <laughs> Been there, done that, brother. 
but what, I mean, it's just one of the most, unner- and you can, it sounds like thunder under the ground. You can actually hear the ground moaning and groaning and rumbling. And it's kind of a creepy thing. My wife said that all the water in the commode at the house, whoosh, right out on the, on the floor and the wall. I mean, it just goes everywhere. The buildings will move three and four feet at a time. Imagine your house moving three feet. It just, it's a little creepy. You watch cars and they're going, bouncing everywhere. And nobody's in them, but they're bouncing all over the place. And it gets a little crazy. And I can imagine, and I've been in buildings during earthquakes with the doors slamming open. And we had those little signs for the school on the second floor that hang on chains, you know, the wooden ones. They were bang, bang, and then explode everywhere, putting holes in the walls. I thought that was a dumb way to put signs up <laughs> in Southern California. Now, wait a minute. Uh, I can imagine after it was all over, I know how I felt. I was, no pun intended, a little shook up. All the doors in the prisons were open. And the jailer looks in and sees that everything has opened up. And he said, there's no way I'm going to live. He pulls his sword out to kill himself, and Paul says, Hold it, brother. We're all here. Do thyself no harm. Now, all of us are going to go through the dark midnight hours of life. We are. It may be pain, maybe sickness, maybe disease. Maybe problems at work or pressure from family. Maybe an adult child breaking your heart as I talked with a pastor this week. Maybe your family angry with you because they don't like the fact that you're a Christian. It may be financial problems. It may be friends who disappoint you. Maybe someone who passes away. I don't know what your midnight hour is or what your midnight hour will be, but I will show you tonight how to make it through your midnight hour. I didn't say if you have one. I said when you have one. Because it's not a matter of if. You will have one. Some of us have had many. But you'll go through the midnight hour. Young people... This is not a sermon you want to hear, but put it in your memory banks. You're going to need it one of these days. First of all, you will have midnight hours if you live right. The midnight hour isn't for people who've done bad. The midnight hour comes to those who are living right. Let me help you for a moment. It always amazes me that Christians think they should never have problems in life. Where do we get that? Where do we think that just because we're sincere trying to do right that nobody's going to go against it? Paul and Silas were in God's will. 
They were doing what God said. They were preaching the word of God. They were seeing revival take place and got beaten and thrown into jail. Now, does it sound like they were bad people? Let me make a statement here. Living right draws the devil's attention to you. Living wrong does not. In some cases, living right means you're going to face more midnight hours. Being saved does not make you immune to attack. Matter of fact, the more for God you do, probably the more attacks you will face. When Brother Hiles died, he had 11 different lawsuits against him. I don't know that I knew him at a time where he had less than six or seven lawsuits. I'll never forget the day he gave away baby chicks. <laughs> of course, we bust into Chicago and we'd bring eight, nine, ten thousand people in on buses and have another fifteen, twenty thousand drive in. And uh, he gave away baby chicks to every bus kid. Well, Brother Hiles didn't know in the city of Chicago there's a law that you can't give livestock and keep livestock in city. And they considered baby chicks livestock. So he had a lawsuit to show up in court. And the judge wasn't real happy with Brother Hiles. She said, you mean to tell me that you gave away baby chicks to all those children? Brother Hiles was a Texan. He enjoyed life. He said, yes, ma'am. He said, I did worse than that. She said, what did you do? He said, I ate their mother for lunch. <laughs> the only person in the courtroom that did not laugh was the judge. Now, uh, can I tell you something? Uh, it seems like the more you do for God, the more you're going to get attacked. Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. You don't need a shield unless you're in battle. And if you're going to live right, you're going to face some battles. It's not all going to be roses. Sometimes it's going to be the manure to make the roses grow. You see, the devil does not attack those doing what he wants. The devil's going to attack those that are attacking him, which are those who are doing that which is right. You see, the devil will do everything he can to keep you from living right and getting the gospel out and pleasing God. Plain and simple. If he can't attack you, then he's going to go after people you love and take you down. I watch it. I caught the tears of a preacher this week who has a son that's breaking his heart. I get it. I begged and pleaded with him. I said, do me one thing. I think you're doing right. I think you need to ask him to leave home. He's 18. Ask him to leave home. Just do one thing. Make sure you leave the door open for him to come back. Don't burn the bridge. Do it out of love, not out of anger. I said, you're doing it right. This is how you do it. 
I said, I stand with you. I hurt with you. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do, but you're doing right. But make sure he knows he can come back. Now, there's things he'll have to do to come back. And you make sure he does those things. It's not fair to the rest of your family if he does not. That's why you're making him go now. I said, but you got to make sure he understands he's welcome back. He said, preacher, I'll do it. You don't take those calls, I do. I get it. When your son throws your own preaching in your face and perverts it, it's hard. It's hard. See, the devil doesn't attack the drunk laying in the street right now. The devil doesn't attack the person that just robbed the bank. He's going to attack the Christian living right. You see, and if he can't get to you, he's going to try to get to the people around you that you love most. You can hit me all day long. You go after my wife or my kids, look out. I won't defend myself, but I will jump in front of her any day. Any day. Time to go. To, time to go. Now, you say, but pre- no, no, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I can put up with a lot, but don't attack my church members. I won't fight to defend me. I'll fight to defend you. Oh, buddy, will I fight to defend you. I'll fight to defend God, but I'm not going to fight to defend me. Let the attack come. Let them, let them say what they want. They don't bother me. I'll live right. I'll, I'll endure the attack. It's okay. But I'll stand for right no matter what. You see, you will have midnight hours if you live right. Did you know that preachers have heartaches too? They have loved ones who die and get bad news. They have family who get sick. I've preached funerals for my own family, preached my mother's funeral. I've had to make the same decisions I've counseled people in this room to do concerning my mother's health. I had to be the one to tell the doctors and nurses to take her off of the ventilator. I made that phone call and 40 minutes later, I was counseling somebody else about a funeral. I get it. I had just gone through it three months before with Michael and his family and Sarah, his mom. I had to counsel all four of their children and her husband. What would mama want? She didn't want to live by machine. Oh, so we don't have to make the decision. She already did. Yes. All the way down to an 11-year-old girl. And as they wept and cried that day and they told the doctors to take her off the the life support, and she went to heaven. Three months later, I had to do the same thing for my own mama. And I did. And I stayed here and helped people. And then uh, helped Mrs. Diener. (laughs) Hadn't even been to my own family yet. I get it. 
I do. The midnight hours come. Number two, you need to have a good attitude during the midnight hour. This is the one that's going to hurt. You need to have a good attitude during the midnight hour. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 25. I want you to keep your eyes focused on this verse. And at midnight, Paul and Silas, what did they do? Prayed and sang what? Unto God. Does it say they were having a pity party? Does it say they were angry with God? Does it say they were complaining to God because they had to go through this? No. The Bible says that they prayed, and they sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. They weren't doing it for everybody else. They were doing it for themselves. And you have to understand something. When you're going through your midnight hour, other people are watching. Other people hear you. And you've got to make sure that you stay on top side in the midnight hour. Say, well, preacher, that's not fair. Well, welcome to life. I don't find one place where Paul or Silas complained to God that they had to go through this. I don't find one time, well, I don't understand why we got to go through this. All we do is preaching and people getting saved. I don't know why God's letting me go through this. Find that in the scripture. Well, I just don't get it. Why do good people have to suffer like this? Because we're sinners. And because evil is evil. Just because it's attacking you right now doesn't mean it hadn't been out there for a long time. And you have to understand something. The prisoners heard them. Who's hearing you during the midnight hour? What are they hearing from your lips during the midnight hour? Please don't take this. I, I, I'm not trying to lift me up. But as my mom passed away and I went through that and my family went through that, you didn't hear me complain and I've been able to help everybody else in our church go through those things because of the example of my midnight hour. Everybody doing okay? And I don't mean that in an arrogant fashion, but what if I'd have just said, well, I need to take a month off because my mama died. Good grief. What does that say about the faith of your preacher? Everybody doing okay? Well, I need to take a, what do they call those things? Sabbaticals. Good night. Just quit your job and go get an honest one. I, I, I never saw a bunch of sissy britches preachers as I've seen in the last generation of my life. I never heard of a pastor resigning to retire and collect Social Security. Good night. Brother, I want to die with my boots on. I want to die, not actually in the pulpit, but having just left the pulpit. I really don't want to keel over in front of everybody. That's just not something that's appealing to me. But I want to go out preaching, amen? I want to go out uh, with everything I've got. You say, well, at the rate you're going, you might burn out. Well, I'd rather burn out than rust out. 
I don't plan to retire, I plan to retread. Uh, I got a pastor friend right now, it's about in his early 60s, and he said, man, I've got just a few more years and I could retire. He better be careful if he says it one more time to me, because I'm going to tell him, why don't you just quit now? Do everybody a favor. Everybody doing all right? You say, well, you'll understand when you get older. I'm 56. I'll be 57 this year. I'm just getting started. I'm just hitting my stride. Man, you think, you think what we've done so far is, if you knew how much I have planned for the future, you'd get another job to pay for it all. We better have the right kind of attitude as we go through the midnight hour. Paul and Silas were not blaming God. Not one time did Paul or Silas say, well, I'll bet you God's judging us. Why is it that when something bad happens, well, God must be judging me. God doesn't love me. God does love you. Sometimes you have to go through those things so he can show how strong he is. You don't want to go through the jail. God's got an earthquake waiting. Everybody doing okay? Maybe we ought to learn to sing. I'm not talking about professionally, but when, instead of complaining, start singing. And I'm not talking about gloom, despair, and agony on me. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where it came from, but it was there. I know where it came from, but Ellen just had it. I could see it written on Ellen's face back there. Wait a minute. Maybe if we'd start singing, we'd quit complaining. Maybe if we started praising God in the midnight hour, we wouldn't be complaining to God. You know, it's hard to complain while you're praising. You know, it's kind of hard to get negative when you're singing gospel songs. You know, it's kind of hard to have a pity party when you think about how great God is. You see, God wants us to have the right attitude as we go through the midnight hour. Yes, I'm stubborn. I have no problem saying that. And I'm stubborn enough not to let the devil win, even when I'm getting punched on. I learned a long time ago, the best way to beat a bully is if he knocks you down, get back up and beat the snot out of him. But don't give in to the bully. And I'm not about to give in to the devil. He might think he's won a battle, but every family he takes out of this church, I promise God, put two back in. I figure if you hit him hard enough and double tap enough, he's going to quit shooting, amen? amen. <laughs> I got one, yeah, but I'm wearing two more. Ha! <laughs> I talked to a preacher recently. He said, I lost two families. I said, good, go get four. He said, what? I said, go get four. I said, double tap the devil. Don't give up. Start revival. I I told a preacher just a few months ago, he was ready to quit, ready to retire, ready, ready to resign. I said, well, you need revival, not resignation. 
You need Pentecost, not a pity party. He said, that hurt. I said, good. Maybe you'll get right with God. By the way, they've got revival going on. Their church is growing. Can I tell you something? Maybe we just need a good old kick in the seat and say, get myself right and keep going. Learn to help others during the midnight hour. You know, Paul leaned over to Silas and said, hey, how about we do this together? You know, Silas was hurting as much as Paul was, and Paul was hurting as much as Silas was. And he said, how about we just sing praises to God? Did you know the jailer got saved? Do you know the other prisoners heard what was going on and did not leave? Now, you talk about men of God that had power. Jailers, people at jail didn't leave when the doors were open. Mm -hmm. I wonder, people who were going to hear their sermons, if they found out Paul and Silas were whining and complaining in jail, or whether the power of God fell in the jailhouse, who's going to come hear them if they're whining and complaining? See, we've got to have the right attitude as we go through the midnight hour. Well, preacher, you don't understand the pressure. <laughs> you don't understand my God. God can do anything. Me and God are a majority. Then what do you got the poochy lip for? Some of you, you might as well paint your forehead and say, angry, mad, bad attitude. If I'm ever in a battle, you'll never know it. You'll never see it. Say why? Because I decided I'd have the right attitude if I'm in a battle or not. My attitude's my fault. Your attitude's your fault. It's not God's, it's yours. Okay, point number three. Hit that one too hard. You need to prepare for the midnight hour. You need to prepare for the midnight hour. I made a statement at the beginning. It's not a matter of if you will have one, you will have one. So if you're going to have one, we probably ought to get ready for one. You may not be able to predict which one it's going to be, but you're going to have one. That means this, have the right kind of friendships. When the midnight hour comes, I'm, I think Silas was pretty glad he had the Apostle Paul with him. And I'm pretty sure the Apostle Paul was glad he had Silas. Imagine they were thankful they had the right kind of friends. Have spiritual people around you that during the midnight hour, you can call. You better know some strong people that can get through some strong battles. Not critical people. Not Job's three friends. <laughs> I love the statement in the book of Job. Job looks at him and says, miserable comforters are ye all. Man, if I had three friends like that, I'm not sure I would use the word friend. I'd hate to see what his enemies were like at that point in time. 
you better, and I, I don't mean this the wrong way, make sure your friends have good friends. Because if they're hanging with marginal people, when, the, when you're in your midnight hour, they may not be on your side. I'm glad when I bring my friends to Grace Baptist Church and I introduce them to you or they're here when I'm not here, Brother Jamie Jackson or Dr. Jeff Fugit or Dr. Scott Cottle. These are men with whom are my friendships. These are the men that I keep around me. They intimidate me. Say why? Because <laughs> i got midnight hours coming and I need help like that. Monday morning when the broadcast and Tuesday morning when things weren't going quite right with the broadcast, Brother Cottle said, Brother, I'm so sorry. I'm embarrassed. He said, I'm on the phone with Brother Campbell right now. Let me get back to you. And I said, please don't get Brother Campbell in trouble. It's not his fault. I got tech demons. And Brother Campbell got on the phone and he's brother I'm so I'm embarrassed I'm so I said brother Campbell I said my secretary's about about to split a gut because she's laughing so hard I said we didn't know my tech demons affected radio too I said to me it's funny he said well it's been a clown show that's for sure I said don't you dare say that I said don't you dare I said but now you know why I don't even have a computer he said well after this week I may not either I think I'm getting rid of mine, and I, I get it. He was all embarrassed, and I made sure both of them, I, Brother Cottle said, I am going to the office, I'm going to, I said, Brother Cottle, one thing. He said, what's that, brother? I said, don't you dare let anybody get in trouble. This is new. It happens. It's okay. I said, nobody is to get in trouble. Do you understand me, Sir? He said, all right. I said, it's all right. Everything's fine. Nobody's been hurt. There's been no bloodshed. Nobody's going to jail over this. It's fine. You see, when you have the right kind of friends, it's okay if they make mistakes. Because you're going to make them too. Everybody doing all right? I'm glad when I have tough times, I have men like Brother Fugate. Brother Caudle, Brother Jackson, others. I can give you a list of them. You see, maybe you ought to have the right kind of friendships around you so that when the midnight hour comes, you got help. You need to have a walk with God before the midnight hour comes. Can I tell you something? You can't wait to the midnight hour to walk with God. That's like saying, I'm going to wait till my wedding day to get ready for the wedding. Uh, first of all, you ain't never ready to get married, but uh, you, better, you better be reading your Bible now, getting ready for the midnight hour. You better be memorizing Scripture now. I think it's good for everybody to memorize Scripture. You know, if you memorize one verse a week, you could memorize 52 verses a year. Ten years, you could memorize over 500 scripture verses. And instead of thinking through all the worldly stuff, you'd have scripture going through your head all the time. 
we ought to learn how to pray and get a hold of God. We ought to learn how to yield to the Holy Spirit. We ought to learn how to uh, be serving God and walking in the Spirit and walking with God. And in preparation to the bad days, I do not know what the next phone call brings, but I must be ready for it. I don't know when the phone rings and it's going to be something's wrong with that. I don't know the next phone call when it rings that it's somebody in your family that needs help or this tragedy or that. As it rang this week from a preacher friend of mine and he said, pray for me. He said, my aunt walked in on my cousin and her boyfriend was choking her out and nearly killed her. We had to call the police. I'm here with the police now. Would you pray for me? She was purple when the police got here. We'd got her revived. He tried to murder her. He said, would you pray for me? Yes, I will. That's one phone call this week. You answer the phone calls I answer. When it rings, I just cringe. I do. Because it seems like I get everybody's midnight hour. You know, maybe we need to learn to praise God while it's not midnight. So when it is midnight, we can praise God. Can I tell you why you grumble in the midnight hour? Because you haven't praised him in the other hours. Oh, I didn't say that it makes the problem any easier. doesn't make the problem go away. But I can praise God in the midnight hour as much as I can. Two o'clock in the afternoon. I got to figure out what to praise God for. And it's not the situation I'm in, but he's done a whole lot for me. You know, God's been so good to this man and to this church. If God chose never to bless me again, God never, and God chose never to bless this church again, I'm still way ahead on the blessing chart. Because I don't deserve anything but hell. You see, maybe we ought to get ready for the midnight hour. Paul and Silas praised and sang to God before the midnight hour. So that when the midnight hour came, they could keep doing it. It became part of what they were. It wasn't something they put on, it's something that they are. Use your midnight to help others instead of getting angry. I know people who have lost a child and they're bitter for the rest of their life. I know others that have lost a child or children, and they use it to help people. Please don't take this the wrong way. Uh, my wife and I have five grandbabies in heaven. But I've watched our children who've lost babies help others as they go through loss. They've used it to help others. It doesn't take that pain away. I get it, but I use it all the time helping people. I get it. Some people have financial mess, and some are too proud to even admit they're in a financial mess. 
But you can use it to help others. Listen to the man of God. Let him help you get out of the problem you're in. And then when you're out of it, then you can help somebody else. Say, well, I've got a past, preacher. Everybody's got a past. Well, I I was a pretty bad sinner. (laughs) Well, we're all sinners. But you can either complain about it or try to hide it and think that you're holier than thou or use it to help somebody now. I know some people think, well, the best thing for me to do is never mention it because I don't want to glorify my past. You're not glorifying it. You're, you're able to deal with somebody because you understand them better than somebody else. Everybody doing all right? Somebody always has it worse than you do. I promise you. <laughs> there are people in here, you have a tough time. I get it. But the phone calls I've taken in the last two weeks, I could give you a list of people that are in a whole lot worse shape than anybody in this room right now. I promise you. Did you know your problem won't seem as big if you help somebody else in theirs? I always find when I put my problem aside, Brother James... And go help this person and that person and this person and that person. When I go back to pick up my problem, it's not quite as heavy as it was before. And half the time I go back and say, well, I helped that with this and that and that. Hey, I know how to fix this. And in the process of helping everybody else, I found the answer to my own problem. But if all I did was concentrate on my problem and let everybody else hurt, I don't find the answer. Boy, that's good stuff. I'm going to say this, and then I'll close. Don't live with the victim mentality. Don't live with the I'm a martyr mentality. And make everybody miserable around you. If everybody around you is miserable because you're in the midnight hour, you're not going through it the right way. Others should not suffer because you're suffering. (laughs) There's a sweet, sweet, sweet Christian lady. Happened to be a black lady in a nursing home down in uh, Mount Ashley, South Carolina, just across the river from Charleston. Miss Wilson. My wife's nodding her head. Miss Wilson was about... 90-some years old. She was part of the AME church. She sang in the senior choir for 78 years. Now, she was a true southern black lady. And I mean, she was the sweetest saved person. I'd go in there to cheer her up, and I'd walk out on cloud nine. I'd say, Miss Wilson... She'd call me her white preacher. <laughs> she did. She said, oh, you're the white preacher. I said, yeah, my wife knows. She's heard her say it dozens of times. And I'd go in there and I'd say, Miss Wilson, will you, will you keep praying for me? Oh, that's my daily occupation. She said, I can't get out of bed. I can't do some of the things I used to do, but I can pray. That's my daily occupation. I have a tape, cassette tape. That's one of those things that you don't know how to use. (laughs) I have a tape of Miss Wilson singing. 
What a day that will be. And at 98, 99 years old, her voice is weak, but it's sweet. She's one of the sweetest Christians I've ever met. I have a picture of her holding my son Jeff just as a tiny, tiny baby laying on the bed next to her. I think about her. She's been in heaven for a quarter century now. She'd start singing, ooh, yeah. And she'd have that sweet old black, ooh, to it. Oh, my soul. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When I told her we were leaving to go to Indiana, she put, she said, give me a hand. She put both of her hands around my one hand. She said, I'm still going to pray for my white preacher. She said, I was going to miss you, but I see you in heaven. I think of Miss Wilson. She encouraged me. You see, you could be having a bad day and go in and see Miss Wilson. She's blind, couldn't get out of bed, and there she was singing and praising God. And I'm thinking, the angels in heaven stopped singing when she did because they wanted to hear. You see, she was having a bad time, but she didn't let anybody know she was. She just wanted to help everybody else. Now, I'd rather be a Miss Wilson than a Miss Hand. She was the crabbiest old grouch you've ever met. Bitter, nasty old coot. The same visit that Miss Wilson's holding my son Jeff, I walked down to Miss Hand's room. Get that nasty thing out of my face. I'm not kidding, didn't she? My wife crossed my heart. Uh, she was there. Get that thing away from me. I'm not kidding. When an old lady hates babies, you know she's mean. Nobody liked her. Crabby old grouch. You'll not be able to predict when your next midnight hour comes. But God knows you need it, and God will allow it. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. Sometimes it's forced upon us. But either way, you're going to face the dark, lonely, frightening hours of the midnight hour. How about we decide to do it the right way? How about we be like Job and when the fire of opposition comes, we come forth as gold. We don't burn up like coal. We let the fire refine us, not destroy us. Too many of you allow the fire to burn you up instead of turn you into gold. You're complaining about the heat when God wants to purify you. God wouldn't put you through the refining process if he didn't think you were worth it. So how about we come forth as gold? The midnight hour. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done. I can't tell you when it's going to be. I can't tell you what it's going to be. I can tell you that it is going to be. The midnight hour. How are you going to behave in the midnight hour?